I don't know about you all, but um, when we gather as a family, we like to share stories about the past and about the family. Do you all do that when you gather together as a family? Um, now, um, sometimes the stories might be exaggerated a bit. I don't know if you all run into that or not. I especially appreciated when we would gather as a family at Thanksgiving and I would hear stories that my aunts and uncles would share, stories of our family before I was even born, uh, stories that I could probably tell you as if I were there because they were told so frequently. But they, they were stories who kind of defined who we were and what we were about and, and how we came to be and, and how we were where we were. Um, and, and the same thing is true now when we gather as a family with our kids. Um, we love to share stories about our kids, especially in front of their spouses, so we can embarrass them a little bit. Um, yes? Um, so, so that uh, they know that the way our children were, um, they came by it honestly. They got some of it from their parents. But um, they are stories that, that are told. And really, oftentimes, that's how we learn about other people. That's how we learn about other people is through the stories of their lives. Well, today, we're going to begin a series where we are going to go back to the beginning of our Scripture to hear the ancient stories of God's people afresh and anew. Stories that teach um, who these people were, that teach um, who we were created to be and, and who God is and what our relationship with God is intended to be. Unfortunately, often when we read the book of Genesis, um, I think that there are stories in here which are so familiar to us. We, we remember the characters of Adam and Eve and, and Cain and Abel and Noah, and we remember all of these stories, and they're so familiar to us, and yet they are stories that I'm afraid are so often misunderstood. Because we tend to read these stories as if uh, they were uh, written specifically for our culture. We take uh, stories of Genesis and we try to apply them to debates of today without first understanding how the original people heard them and experienced them. And so our invitation uh, this week is to hear these stories, stories by a particular people about a particular people and for a particular people. Stories uh, that, were written, that were not written down as they occurred. You know, uh, they, didn't have, um, they didn't have cell phones that they took videos of everything that goes on like we do now when we gather as family. They didn't have ways to record it. Um, I don't think they carried around big stone tablets in which they etched things as things were going on. Uh, these are stories that were told orally, just like many of the stories that we tell in our own families. They're stories uh, that are told and passed down by word of mouth throughout the centuries. In fact, it's likely that the stories of Genesis were not written until after the Exodus and maybe not even until after the people reached the promised land or at least were on the verge of reaching the promised land. And so it's important for us to remember that as we hear these stories. They are probably not all of the stories that were written about God's people or the first bit of humanity. They were stories that were captured for a purpose because they are stories that describe who we are as human beings. They were stories that described how this God of creation interacted with the descendants of Abraham, this God who delivered them through uh, through 
uh, from Egypt and delivered them into the promised land. They were stories that they told to explain who they were, to explain why the world was the way it was. Stories that were intended to shape and influence them. Stories that were intended to rich, enrich their lives so that they might enrich the lives of other people. And so I invite us, as we begin this journey through Genesis, I invite us to hear these stories afresh and anew. And so we're going to begin today by reading uh, from Genesis chapter 1. So I invite you, uh, as best you can, to hear the words as they are written, not as we might recall them from a vacation Bible school or things we've been taught. Hear these words. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept across the waters. And God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. And so God made a dome that separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome, and it happened that way. And God named the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. God, let the waters under, uh, God, le God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth, and he named the gathered waters sea. God saw how good it was. And God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside each according to its own kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds each according to its kind and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it each according to its kind. And God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days and years. They will be lights. There will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with living things and let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created the great sea animal and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters, each according to its kind. And all the winged birds, each according to its kind, God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them. Be fertile and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, 
and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all of the livestock, all the earth, all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. And then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produce its seed within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all birds in the sky, and to every crawling thing on the ground, to everything that breathes. I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made. It was, ex it was supremely good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done, and on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. Hear the word of God this day. And may we respond as we hear this story afresh and anew. What a beautiful story uh, that, God, uh, that God shares, that the people of God share uh, about this world and, and, and God's creation of this world. Now, I don't know about you, but a as I hear this story, um, as I read it afresh and anew, one of the things that really jumps out to me is verse 2. You know, we are so often uh, talk about the world being created out of nothing uh, because we, we hear that in debates today and, and indeed in other parts of Scripture. There is this indication that God created all things. And yet in Genesis 1, if we look at verse 2, it, it says that when God began to create uh, that the earth, the earth was formless and empty. It was filled with darkness, and it was this watery abyss or chaos. I find this interesting because the author of Genesis 1 doesn't want us to focus on God creating things out of nothing. The author of Genesis 1 wants us to understand that God has taken this darkness, this watery abyss that people have been afraid of for their entire lives, this, this blob that was formless and empty. God has taken it and given it purpose and intention and definition. God has created it with a purpose. It's interesting in other creation stories, which is really, if we're going to compare Genesis 1 to anything, rather than comparing it to uh, ways we dream up of, of where creation came from today, we ought to compare it to the creation stories uh, of the original authors of the story. In those creation stories, often 
earth came out of God's battling against each other. Earth was an afterthought. It was something that happened as a byproduct of the wars between gods. It it was done because lesser gods wouldn't serve the greater gods, and so greater gods created human beings to serve them and to provide them food and to do all of these things. But we see none of that in Genesis chapter 1. We see no battle, no fighting. This God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God uh, of the people of Israel, simply speaks to the blob that is formless and void. And whether it is a spoken command or whether it is an invitation, it doesn't matter because what happens is when this God says, let there be light, there is light that breaks into the darkness. And this dark void now has light. And if we pay attention, in fact, these first three days of the creation story are a poetic way of saying how God took what was formless and He gave it form. He created a light to contrast the darkness. He he took the waters, this watery abyss, and He put this dome that separated the waters so there were waters above and waters below and there was a sky in between. And then He formed the waters below into a sea and a land and gave it vegetation and that which was formless now had form. And then in days um, four through six, we see that what God actually does is God then goes about filling that which was empty. That which he has now given form to, he fills that which is empty. The day and the night, they now have these lights to guide people in seasons and days and to provide a light. The sky has birds, the sea has fish, the land has animals and humans, and that which is empty is now thriving and teeming with life. This story is so different than ancient creation stories which make it sound as if uh, all that was created just happened, happenstance, uh, by accident. It is a story that paints a picture of a God who intentionally creates everything that there is. And on the seventh day, it says he rests. I like to think on the seventh day, uh, this God who had said each day, it is good. He had blessed it and said that all is good. On the seventh day, he steps back to rest and to relax and to enjoy the beauty of the creation that he had fashioned. He looks at the beauty of the earth and he celebrates that out of this chaos, out of this watery chaos, um, he has brought about this beautiful creation. With purposeful intent, he created everything. So if we listen to Genesis 1, we begin, if we listen clearly to Genesis 1, instead of seeing this as some debate that we have with current scientific um, theories or anything else, we begin to see that Genesis 1 is a confession of faith. It's a confession of faith in a world that doesn't look like what's described in Genesis 1. In a world that's filled with chaos and struggle, it's a confession of faith. 
We'll get to stories in Genesis later that will tell the people how we got to where we are, how chaos and brokenness came to be in this world. But for right now, what the author of Genesis wants us to hear is that the God of creation is a God who brings order and purpose out of chaos. He is not a God who creates chaos. He is a God who who brings healing out of brokenness. This is a beautiful confession of faith that tells us the world was not an afterthought. The world didn't just happen because there's some cosmic battle going on between gods up here. The world doesn't just uh, hang around and survive waiting until it comes to its end. But God created all that is so that life might flourish. God's intention of creation was so that all creation might live in harmony with one another and might live in harmony with God so that we could all relax on the seventh day and enjoy the beauty of what God had created. Do you hear the story afresh and anew on this day? The God who we gather together on this Sunday to worship in the midst of all the chaos and struggle and brokenness that we might experience is the God who took the original chaos and brought order and structure and purpose out of it. That same God can take whatever brokenness and chaos that we experience in this world today and can do the same thing. He can bring good and wonderful beauty out of it. This God who created things in the beginning is still a God of creation. He is still about creating new opportunities and new possibilities in the lives of people. He is still seeking and striving to shape the world so that the world might be a place where all of life flourishes. Where the people of God are blessed and empowered and enabled to also participate in creating a world where all things might flourish. Let us affirm this passage this day. Let us hear this confession of faith and let us restate it this day. The God of creation is the God who brings order and purpose and beauty out of chaos. Let us be a part of God's continuing to shape and reshape the world so that not only may we flourish, but may all people and all creation flourish here and now. Amen. I'm going to invite um, I'm going to invite the Renos to come up. I'm going to change the order just a little bit. If you've got a, an order of worship, and we are going to um, we have this blessed um, opportunity to participate in the sacrament of baptism. 
an opportunity for us to be reminded uh, that it is God's grace that is bestowed upon us. And so uh, I'm going to invite Alex and uh, Sarah and Carter and uh, Luke also ought to come, I guess. What do you think? And I'm going to put my mask up here. I think everybody in the family's been vaccinated, but Sarah for now. And so normally when we're done with this, you would get an opportunity to greet and probably hold Luke. Not going to happen today. Um, I get that opportunity, though. Um, but um, here are these words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and giving new birth through water and through the Spirit and this is God's gift offered to us without price. God, in the midst of this sacrament, in some mysterious way that we don't understand, pours out his grace upon this child and promises to embrace him and incorporate him into the family of God. Promises to be with him and have his spirit upon him to grow him and raise him so that he, as he gets older, may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Until that time, uh, Sarah and Alex, and the congregation. It is your responsibility to help nurture and nourish and, and introduce Luke into this environment where he can grow in his faith. And so I ask you, Sarah and Alex, um, do you accept the power, the freedom and power God has given you to resist evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to open yourselves to, up to the power and presence of the Spirit so you may continue to be shaped into people who live in love like Jesus yourself? Yes. Maybe. Okay. We'll, we'll see when we're done, right? Okay. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to open yourselves up to the power and presence of the Spirit so you may continue to... I already asked you that. You want to answer yes to that again? Okay, that's good. Um, will, you, will you nurture Luke in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example he may be guided to accept and respond to God's grace to profess his faith openly and himself to live and to love like Jesus? All right, and now, folks of Cameron, United Methodist Church, um, you're not just observing this baptism. You are invited to participate. In fact, as a body of this church, you are compelled. And so is Christ's body. Will you reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? Will you support, encourage Alex and Sarah and Carter and Luke to grow as Christ followers, empowered and gifted by the Spirit to make a difference in the lives of others? Join with me then. We will pray for Luke and nurture him so he may grow in his love of God and his love of neighbor. I said there's nothing magical about this water, but we offer up this prayer over the water in anticipation that in doing so, God's grace can work in this outward sign 
in an inward way that goes beyond our comprehension. So join me, uh, gracious God, pour out your spirit upon this water. So that, Lord, as this water flows over Luke's head, he may experience the presence of your spirit in ways that go beyond words. That he may know he is a child of God, loved by God, embraced by God, guided by God. And that he may live into this baptism each and every day so that he may be a person who lives and loves like Jesus and makes a difference in the lives of other people. In Christ's name, may it be so. Amen. Get you to come here. All right. Hello there. I know. You're used to masks, aren't you? Yeah. So, I didn't ask you, do you promise to be a good brother and take care and help him grow to be a follower of Jesus? Good deal. All right. All right. Let's see. I'm going to put this over here. All right, my friend. Luke Reno, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May God's grace fill you. May His Holy Spirit enable you to continue to grow as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Y'all, Welcome, the newest member of Cameron United Methodist Church. Here we go. Am I inviting the family? Am I inviting the family up for prayer? If you want to. Uh, do you all want to come up and we'll just say a prayer? I'll leave it up to you all. Family, you want to surround and we'll do a prayer while the... Yeah? All right. Ah. And if you want to place your hands on Alex, Sarah, Luke, Carter, don't forget this young man right here. He's down here. All righty. Gracious God, we just thank you for your presence in this great sacrament in which you share yourself with us in mysterious ways that we don't fully understand. And yet we know that your grace surrounds Luke, surrounds Sarah and Alex and this entire family. May your grace continue to grow in them. May, your, may their love for you and for others continue to grow. And may each day they all reaffirm their baptism in how they live life with you. May each grow to live and love like Jesus so that they may make a difference in the lives of other people and may help create a world in which all life flourishes. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.